Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today I get to chat with Jason McClelland and this is a great chat if you are a lover of technology or just bewildered by the amount of technology marketers buy today. Now when I was doing research for this episode I saw that Jason's background was not your typical path right through the marketing org. He was a developer. He went on as he tells us today to oversee areas of web services in companies like Adobe and now he's climbed after other stops and sales and other areas to be a CMO overseeing but really embracing the role of technology and that kind of bridges us to the second half of the episode today where we talk a lot about how to get the most out of your tech. This is a great episode to think about how to build the ultimate tech stack but more so the processes that ensure success. Thanks so much for finding time to stop in. I'm really excited to chat about your role as CMO at Algolia. Uh, maybe for starters, how did you pick this company and what was it about being maybe at the right stage? So I'll be honest, when I've known Algolia for a really long time. Uh, I was a customer of Algolia at my last two jobs. Uh, I was a partner of Algolia at my job two jobs ago when I was CMO of a company called Heroku. Have loved the company for a long time. Uh, but when they first called and said, hey, we're looking for a new CMO, I told them no. And the reason why I told them no is because I thought of them as, you know, just a search company. And I thought of them in the MarTech space, like search company for e-commerce websites. And I spent, I don't know, 10 years of my career as a product and, and developer person, you know, building uh, MarTech. And I was like, ah, I'm done with that industry. After the conversation, I just happened to be talking to some friends of mine that were over at Redpoint and Sequoia. And they said, dude, you're crazy. Like this company, like they're not a MarTech company. They're like Twilio for marketing or Twilio for developers around making it easier to connect people with things. And so those two things together were very interesting to me, right? You know, because I love companies that are building blocks. I love companies that are sort of a brand new way of doing things. And then the opportunity as a marketer where it's like, hey, I happen to be good at that. So if you're terrible at marketing, I can help you. It's, a, it's an unsolved problem. That's great. Well, I, I mean, if people had LinkedIn open and they were looking at your career, it's it's pretty impressive the companies and brands you've been with, some of the outcomes. You know, this isn't your first time as a CMO. How do you decide the stage that's right for you? Because you've you've no question been with really large organizations like long run at Adobe, but these are companies that are much more on the growth trajectory towards perhaps being the next Adobe. I think it depends on your personality type. Uh, so I have always described myself as a builder. I thrive in the chaos of having sort of an unknown an, an unknown future, right? Where you have like good building blocks, uh, but it's really uncertain kind of who does what, how you do it, what you should do. And I love putting the pieces together. I love the adrenaline rush of the, we don't know what to do. All this stuff is existential uh, and you got to figure it out today or else the company dies. I hate being a bureaucrat. I always construct, I, I describe myself like a working dog. If you have a working dog, like a Husky or a German Shepherd, and you don't exercise it enough, like if it doesn't get enough physical and mental challenges, it will create its own, right? It's going to go tear up your bed or tear up your, tear up your couch because it's going to be like, oh, I wonder what's in here. 
And so I'm that way. Like if a business gets to the point that you're just babysitting numbers and you're sort of like making micro optimizations to try to drive a 2% improvement, I don't care. And if you spend your time in like all day meetings, sort of like trying to get other people to come to consensus and make, you know, basic decisions drives me nuts. Uh, I just like that adrenaline, right? Of the, uh, I don't know what to do. We don't know what to do, but we've got to figure it out. And you got to figure it out this week or else the company dies. I like that. Uh, and so I find myself like, I like the not super early stage, right? Where the company is like, you know, 10 people in a room and they're like, we're trying to figure out what we're doing. But the the growth stage is like, we've roughly figured out like our trajectory and where we are in the universe. And now we've got to go build the systems and processes and all the stuff to like really go make it happen. I, I, I think that that helps a lot of people understand the different opportunities out there. When you look at saying, okay, we want to be growth stage, how much of looking at the ceiling is part of your decision-making criteria? I look at a company like Heroku that you were at where, I mean, the ceiling to me is endless there, but ultimately the path was an acquisition by Salesforce, which is an amazing milestone. Do you determine when you join whether a company is set on going public, acquisition-focused, how much does that weigh into where you decide to take a CMO gig? Yeah, uh, I think of that as a two-part question. One is, how much do I care about the ceiling? And then two, how much do I care about an exit and what that exit is? So maybe that's like a two-and-a-half-part question. <laughs> I care a lot about the ceiling. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, originally when Algolia called, I wasn't interested uh, because I thought of them as just a, a MarTech company, search MarTech company. I didn't really understand the value proposition. And I said, well, search MarTech for e-commerce. Like that's an exciting business, but it's a well-known, well well-defined space, right? And essentially you're growing at like GDP uh, with the exception of a COVID shift. And you're just trying to steal market share from bigger players. Not interesting to me. Uh, the idea of, hey, you make picks and shovels for developers who can build anything and you're built into things like gaming platforms and media applications and, you know, sort of across the board, SaaS companies like uh, Twitch, Twilio, Zendesk, Stripe, et cetera. Like that is super interesting because like that's a, that's an unlimited potential, right? Is like as long as you're building better picks and shovels or whatever, developers can figure out how to make really cool stuff all over the place. Like right now, we just closed our third uh, NFT marketplace deal uh, in the last month. Right. Like that's brand new Web 3.0 and NFT marketplaces or whatever. Like that's super completely untapped. As far as exit outcome, one, people always have this belief of like, you know, hey, my goal is to go IPO. Like that's kind of like the end of the journey. And I think that they, they sort of underrealize that your job gets a lot harder once you go public. We all want an IPO, but for what it's worth, like your job gets a lot harder when you're like under heavily regulated public scrutiny on all the ins and outs of how you run your business. And so I'm a little bit more uh, agnostic when it comes to like, you know, like is the end result that we want to get acquired? Is the end result that we want to go IPO? A little bit agnostic on that. What I do shy away from are companies that are like lifestyle companies, you know, amazing companies, um, but it's like CEO, founder led or whatever. They've been around for 12 years or growing at 20%. Like they don't have an exit. They don't care about more aggressive growth. It's just, you know, some person's, uh, it's their lifestyle business. Those tend to not be as exciting or high growth as what I'm looking for. One more question before we take a break here, and maybe this segues us into the second part of our combo to come today. I look back on your career and you had you know, 
lot of time at Adobe and some interesting titles for a traditional today marketer. Some of them huh. I look back on are, you know, overseeing web services, being the web technologist. I mean, these are titles that we don't often associate as part of the marketing org. How is that technologist role in the past shaped the type of marketing leader you become today? Yeah, people, the question comes up a lot where people are like, hey, I want to be a CMO. Uh, what should I do? And I say, I don't think anybody could copy my career journey. Like I started off as a developer. I moved over into product. Uh, then I switched over to sales and then I switched over to marketing. And so it's a pretty atypical journey, right? Uh, and so you look at it and you go, okay, like what's been the operating thesis of my career? When I started my career, I kind of fell into development because it was a way to make money. I mean, I started my career in, you know, like 98, 99, like the first dot-com boom before everything crashed with pets.com and all that. And developers kind of like now, yeah, it was a relatively low bar, go teach yourself some Java and you can go make a ton of money doing web development and app development. And I was like, that sounds great. And so I did that as a way to start out. And I happened to fall into um, one of the first enterprise content management companies. And that was very fortuitous for me because it drove this operating thesis for my whole career around what's now become like product-led growth. This idea of the machines and robots should do a lot more work in your selling process. And I've always been fascinated with that. Like, you know, the number of just like, honestly, dumb conversations that salespeople have to have in order to close deals. And it's like, you should be able to know more about your customer based on who they are, the demographic information, how they use the product. Like, how do we get it so that way, like the product truly can sell itself? And so I've done product, I've done engineering, I've done sales, but it's always been about that, that sort of like e-commerce, the learning machine, whether it's uh, data science and like, you know, building the ML models and getting easier to really sort of understand like who are your customers and what are the data points and the product telemetry that you have to capture in order to just get more efficient. It's been a 20 year journey on that. I've been very lucky that at this point, like that's what people are looking for in CMOs. They're looking for CMOs who understand like operating efficiency and how the systems fit together and how, how to market to developers. Uh, I, it's, it's just uh, fortuitous that I happen to fall into that. That's great. Well, listen, I, I think you really teed up a great second part of this combo. I know where I want to go, but we're going to leave people on a quick break from our sponsor here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. One of the things that Jason's hitting on here is that when we find the right company, it may not be marketing the way that company should be marketing. And it's important for us to look at the bigger picture of what potential might be there for this 
product, solution, and brand. One of the ads that I've seen in the last couple of years that I really love is these AWS ads, because for a lot of us, we struggle to understand what is the role of AWS in a stack. But they do these TV commercials where they show all the things that it could power. I think that's what Jason's getting at here with what he saw in the potential with Algolia once he dug in. And that's what all of us have to do as we evaluate the right company that we may want to join. So Jason, before we took a break, we were talking about the importance of technology and the opportunity with technology. And I was interviewing a marketer recently and they looked at the technology stack that we had and it looked like they were drooling. You know, this, this idea of all this potential that they could have. Do you think the answer is these really big stacks or what is it about making technology start to do the jobs of people as you described? I worry about scope creep. Meaning uh, there's a bunch of flashy stuff. There's a bunch of vendors who are really good at selling the flashy stuff, right? Talking about like, hey, my new flashy thing is, is better than anybody else's flashy thing. You got to buy it now. I mean, I saw this a lot when I was at Adobe. Uh, so one of my jobs at Adobe was helping to create what became their marketing cloud business uh, back when we were the first end-to-end -end marketing cloud and selling to CMOs at places like Coca-Cola and Nike around like an overall digital transformation. And time and time again, when advising these companies, you know, people would get enamored with the technology. And ultimately it was like, guys, you're gonna go spend a couple million dollars on our technology and I thank you for that. That's not your real problem, right? Like your real problem is being really clear on like, what are the capabilities you need to have? And what are the org processes? Like what's the org design, the org incentives, uh, you know, sort of getting like the right alignment and structure and going through the change management for actually doing something with that technology. Time and time again, I would see companies just really underthink that. And they're just like, uh, hey, I'm buying flashy objects in the hope that it solves my problem. And I've even run into that in uh, most of my companies where I come in and we've bought all the Ferraris, right? I mean, you've got all the Drifts and the Marketos and the, you know, the Adobe's and the Salesforce's and the whatever's, you know, the Uber flips, but it's not put together right. It's not clear kind of who does what. It's not clear like what you're actually trying to do. You know, you've got a lot of redundancy. And so time and time again, again, I see that. And so I, so I take a team and I take a step back and I go, what are we trying to get done, right? And then like, what are the systems that enable us to do that? So start with that, right? Start with like, what are you actually trying to get done? And then how, like, what best enables you to do that? So an interesting comment on there, and we, you and I were chatting about this earlier because you are an Uberflip customer. We were talking about how we get it to work better together. I know when we were smaller, even as a marketing team here, one of the things that I would always obsess was that there had to be an owner for each piece of technology. Yeah. That, that worked, first of all, in the sense we only had so many pieces of technology. But now we're at the point where I think we're outnumbering with technology to people in terms of different tools that we have. And it becomes tricky to think like, okay, is it just one owner? Or to your point, how do you think more about perhaps the process and layer technology on that? So I'm, I'm curious how you think about ownership of technology today? Like for some of the, the, the core pieces that you hit on earlier, do you have individual owners or do you have groups? How's that thought of? Yeah, for the most part, I try to consolidate uh, MarTech ownership within the marketing ops team. Uh, so if I were to back into this, because I come from a technology background, right? Like I built systems and I was an engineer for a long time. 
I've always looked at marketing ops and marketing capabilities from a system standpoint as a competitive differentiator, right? It's a core competency where it's like, I want to have the cutting edge systems that allow me to learn more faster than my competitors. And as such, I've always hired marketing ops people who have that, that sort of centricity where it's like, it's not about, you know, connecting Marketo with uh, Salesforce or HubSpot, you know, it's like, who cares? It's about the, you know, how do I take the Uber flips and the drifts and the six senses or the whatever and stitch it together to do something that's like truly, truly unique to my business. So I look for people who have that skill set, and then I build out a marketing ops team. So at Heroku, my my team was my ops team was I don't know ended up being 20, 30 people, something pretty sizable for a we were a four hundred person company at the time I left. But the idea is like a good third of that team were system architects, data scientists, data engineers, people who really understood how to stitch together a data model that was self learning. I'm very particular on that just because of my background and because of my belief that the systems, if you do it right, can truly be a, a competitive differentiator for your company. Interesting. Where where do you put the majority of your budget today from a technology perspective? As as you think, maybe maybe more so going forward. Like, what are some of those big buckets that you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it's early 2022 now. We're trying to think about where we should be investing. A lot of us probably have a marketing automation platform. You know, a lot of us probably have a lot of these buckets that you said, perhaps a conversation solution like Drift. But is there something that you're starting to think I've got to double down on in this area? Yeah, the ongoing investment is around better understanding your customer. Meaning like, what are the signals that you can gather both inside of your, inside of your product, inside of your company, and then also exogenous uh, signals around like buying intent, where your customers actually are, uh, job title, name, demographic information and augmentation. And so at all my companies, you know, the external spend is around all the things like, you know, Sixth Sense and Bombora and demand base and things like that, uh, that are like helping me better understand, you know, like, Who's buying what? Like, what are the job titles? Who are the specific people? Where are they going to reach? Internally, uh, it goes back to that uh, building the brain. And so, you know, having a data warehouse, you know, done, investing in the data scientists and the tools, uh, things like Endgame that help us really understand, okay, we're capturing all these signals. Like now, how are we munching this together and go, okay, follow up with that customer versus that customer because that customer has a higher propensity to buy. That's like a never never ending journey and a, a massive investment at the last, I'll call it four companies I've been at. An interesting word that you use there that I just want to dig a little deeper is this idea of customer. Because for many of us, when we say customer, we're relating to a different stage in the buyer journey. It sounds as though in your case, it's not just, as you said, the intent to buy the first time, but it could also be the intent to expand the spend with that organization. So my question, you know, rather than that just being a statement, how are you making sure that this data that you have, this understanding is being shared with the different stakeholders across not just top of funnel, but your actual customer base? Yeah, it is, uh, it is interesting when people say, uh, so here's, here's a little bit of a mental model that uh, when I first started thinking this way 10 years ago, it really tweaked me out. But now there are customers who pay and customers who don't. Right. And so I think about it as like, uh, there's still a customer of yours, whether or not they pay. And then I just have a paywall that I have to get people through. Uh, and so anyway, it's like a little bit of a mental model shift. But your question is like, okay, like which data do you send to who to where? My job is to send signals or one of my jobs is to send signals. And so part of that is, hey, SDR, go talk to this person. And here's what you should say to them. 
And so really capturing the, you know, uh, this person engaged with this type of content, they're this job title, they came in, they're using the product in this way. And now you can have, or same thing for an AE or, you know, anybody on the sales side of like, once somebody gets to the point that I think they have a propensity to buy or convert or grow, they try to send smarter signals to that go-to-market team, right? Where it's just, uh, uh, like in the case of Heroku, you know, it was, uh, this person's ready for a Redis database, or this person is ready to add, you know, uh, CI capability. And so go talk to them about, you know, Travis, or go talk to them about, you know, whatever the case may be, Travis CI. But that way the salesperson's like, I can actually have a real conversation because I know enough about the customer that it's not just like, hey, here's who we are and here's how you buy us and here's what the pricing is. It's like, I understand the problem you're trying to solve. Similarly, uh, in the end product experience, which is if I can send the right product signals, right? Like based on how I'm learning. So your product experience actually evolves. And you're going like, oh, you're showing me in the right context. And, and meaning like, even if you're not a customer, right? Like if you're a trial user, like you're showing me step one, two, three, like on day zero. So I understand like, oh, here's what it is. Here's how I should use it. And then same thing for marketing. It's, uh, you know, building the self-learning system. So the marketers understand like, oh, these types of customers ultimately result in this type of revenue. Therefore, I need to drive more of these types of customers through these channels. So really building the system to help the teams learn. So you're not just like throwing darts at a board, hoping something sticks. So I, I know that was kind of like an all and everything answer of like, I've got yeah, to no, I, I love that because I, I think so often people will say something along the lines of it's on marketing to supply air cover to the organization, expecting we're just going to run all these programs. But to your point, it's a little bit about enabling the rest of the organization with these signals, as you call them. And I think that's a more powerful way for us to really mobilize the entire work, you know, because it, marketing can only do so much, as we all know, no matter how big our marketing team is. But when we send those signals, our CS team can do things, our you know, sales team can do things, but they can do so based off the right actions, as you said, we want them to flow. Yeah, I think that's the intent. Uh, so when I think back to the origins of product-led growth and growth, you know, 10-ish years ago and what we were doing at Adobe and Heroku, uh, that was the intent, right? Is that, you know, marketing should make you smarter because we're capturing those signals and pumping them back out to the organization. Unfortunately, as PLG and the term of growth has become uh, mainstreamed, it's gotten watered down, right? And now people are like, oh, I've got a freemium model. I take credit cards, whatever. Therefore, I'm PLG done. You know, it's like, well, wait a minute. That's like step one of a hundred step journey. Um, you've, all, you've only done the, the easiest step. Like you haven't actually done it yet. Really interesting. This, this chat is great, Jason. We, we're going to take another break here. We have a couple more rapid fire questions, but we'll get you get seated for those and we'll be right back on the marketer's journey. The takeaway from what Jason's talking about here is that we can't just go buy technology. We have to have a plan for how technology will be used. The framework that many of you, of you have heard me talk about before is people, process, and technology. And I always say that tech is the last piece in that. We need great people. We need those people to introduce great processes. And then technology needs to be thought of in context to how we scale. And I think that's Jason's point here, is you need great people and great processes, and that technology needs to be something that they operate. I am really intrigued by his focus, and I'm hearing it more and more, that marketing ops is no longer just the owner of your marketing automation platform. They are the owner of all of your technology and how that works together in a cohesive manner to get the results, and as he talks about here, send those signals through your organization. 
All right, Jason, we've unpacked your career journey, which you said is unique. We've talked about the importance of technology. Now I got a whole bunch of random quick questions to ask you. Are Let's you ready? All right. So the first one, we, we talked a lot about your path. What do you think is the best path for the next CMO out there? Is it to take more of a generalist approach or really double down in a specialty? Yeah, I almost always say double down in a specialty is when you want to when you want to be a CMO or a VP of marketing, you have to do kind of two things. One, have a broad enough platform that you understand the other areas of marketing, but build a world class reputation for the area that you spike. Right. Because ultimately, companies are they're almost all hiring for like, I've got a problem. Right. I need somebody who's amazing at brand or I need somebody who's amazing at demand or I need somebody who's amazing at product marketing. But if you want to run the whole show, you have to know what to hire for, for the other functions, right? So you give the company confidence of like, I know how to run these other functions. Here's what I would hire. Here's how I'd operate them, but I'm not the expert in those other functions. So I always recommend people be world-class in a thing or else you just get watered down. You're, you're too hard to find. I love that. I, I think it's very also realistic at the stage you're operating at now. You can't do it all. You need That's that right. team around you anyway. So, all right, another one for you. What's one thing you wish marketers did more of? Oh, uh, it'd be too flippant to say measurement, right? Like marketers get, and it's, there's an irony, right? Because we're the communicators. We're bad at communicating internally, right? And so it's like, here's the thing I want to do. Here's the way it's going to work. Here's the ROI. And I'm going to hold myself accountable. Marketers just tend to like, uh, we tend to shift around. It's like, oh, well, we changed the definition or we changed this. And then sales and product are like, I don't know what these guys are doing. Like, well, uh, what are you actually on the hook for? And how's it actually going to work? Well put, well put, accountability at the end of the day. When you think about content or content marketing and the content that comes to you, what makes for content that stands out? Oh, uh, I could go on forever about this. For most of my career, I've been trying to rip off HubSpot, right? Uh, and what I mean by that is as a marketer, you Google anything, HubSpot has really good, credible content that's like a top five search result. I want to be that, whether that's selling to developers, whether that's selling to product people, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's provocative. It's poignant. It's uh, low marketing, right? It's not like, oh, we're the best digital transformation, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, here's how you do your job, right? Like, I'm going to give you reference examples. I'm going to show you the documentation, A, B, C, D, E. Like, here are the steps. Here's how you do your job. Incredibly helpful. So create a high velocity of high quality content. Uh, I think is the most credible way to market, right? Because you're actually helping people do their job. You're not just trying to sell them stuff. All right, a couple more questions for you. And this one, we hit on this a little bit already with technology. As you go into this new year that we're in, what's one bucket that you plan to fill as a technology purchase? And I mean, you may put out the best signal ever for audiences or vendors who may want to sell to you with this answer. So, you know, people are going <laughs> to tune in. There you go. We're making a lot of investment in ABM. Like, like true ABM, and I know it's a buzzword, right? Like when I came in, uh, people were like, oh, hey, we're doing ABM. And it's like, we weren't doing ABM. We had a named account list, but it was like 2,000 companies. So it's not very helpful. Uh, and we bought Sendoso, so we're sending people gifts. So I was like, guys, like that's not ABM. And so we're making a lot of investment around becoming more account-centric. So we sell to developers. We sell to enterprises. The developer thing, I think we've got pretty good. The enterprise thing, I think we have to mature on. Gotcha. That's helpful. All right, the last question, this ties together our entire journey that we've talked about. We talked about your career journey. We talked about the buyer journey, the personal journey. Where is the next place you're going to go to disconnect? And how do you balance that as a CMO? 
it is tough. Uh, so I thrive in the high adrenaline, crazy places that you got to build everything is existential. Uh, the downside of that is it is tough to disconnect because you feel like every minute you step away from something, you're like, oh my gosh, like I see, I see the red, right? I love going to North Lake Tahoe. Uh, I've got, a, I've been fortunate enough. I have a house up there. So I go up there, hang out by the lake, hang out. I mean, there's bear and deer and things like that walking around. Um, incredibly relaxing compared to the Silicon Valley. That's great. That's great advice. A great place to get away. I know a lot of people who ski there too. Uh, this has been awesome, Jason. I can't thank you enough for finding the time to join us to talk about all these aspects of your journey. If you're tuning in for the first time and you heard Jason's story, you know every story we've chatted with with the CMO is a little bit different. And I'm sure the path that you're charting is going to be unique in itself. One day, hopefully, you'll share it on this podcast. And until next time, thanks for tuning in to The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.